Welcome to Courage and Spice. This is the podcast for humans with self-doubt. I'll share evidence-based resources and teach you proven coaching tools to help you transcend your self-doubt. I'm Sass Petherick, a master coach and founder of the Self-Belief Coaching Academy. I'm so glad you're here. Let's do this. Hey folks, listening in, this episode contains references to drug use, so please be mindful of where you're listening, and if this isn't your thing, just feel free to skip the episode. So everybody, you may know this if you follow me on Instagram, but just before New Year, I went on a solo retreat into deepest, darkest Somerset here in the UK, and with the support of a guide, I took mushrooms for the first time. Magic mushrooms, uh, psilocybin is the psychoactive ingredient. That's a class A drug still here in the UK, but in other countries and in other cultures, psilocybin and mushrooms have been used for many, many years as medicine. And I had such a great response to that post. I really wanted to share my experience with you, but I thought it might be helpful to have some support to do that. Um, So my really great dear friend, Karen King, is here. She is a therapist and she runs a clinic in Washington State in the US where she uses plant medicine as part of their treatment plans. I think she is the ideal person to chat about my experience. She knows so much about all of this new kind of treatment and using plant medicines. And she's just ace. You guys should all know her. Karen, welcome. Thank you so much, Sass. And just to um, shout out to all the listeners that Sass is amazing. And hearing this experience is, I think, going to be amazing. And to talk with you about it is a real honor. So glad. So glad. <laughs> Yay. So where do you want to start? Well, I'm curious what prompted you to try this. What was your thought process leading up to it? I think I've been pretty fascinated with psychedelic medicine for for quite a long time, like even since I was a teenager and I knew my parents had dabbled in this and it was kind of in the ether, like my parents worked at a psychiatric hospital in the 70s and 80s. There was just something about psychedelic medicine. It never felt frightening to me and it never felt like something to be kind of worried about. I don't know. There was a sort of intuitive thing. And I have been following my guide, the woman who was my my guide for this experience. Um, I've been following her work for years and she's a, a shaman and a ceremonialist. And she wrote in her newsletter that she was offering medicine ceremonies and she uses cacao and mushrooms and, and other things. And I just got in touch with her and said, hey, am I reading this right? And is this something that maybe we could explore? And we got on the phone and had a really long conversation about my desire to just be much more open. I didn't really know what that meant, but the way that she described the sense of a kind of spiritual calling that sometimes people will feel when this medicine isn't used in a kind of formalized treatment that actually there is sometimes just a time in your life where you think, I'm ready to try this. And it just felt like the right time. So, yeah. 
I have so many things going through my head as you're talking, because I would imagine culturally there are differences in the perspective to non-ordinary states from the U.S. to the U.K., and I have colleagues in the U.K., who, if they were listening in right now, I think what they would say is that your feelings about it or lack of fear might be unusual in the UK, that there might be a feeling of much more stigma, actually, than in the US. Do you feel like that's true? I definitely feel like, like it's medicine. It's, it's a plant. It doesn't feel like a drug to me. And I guess my own kind of approach to drug regulation and, and how we kind of manage as a society it's always felt to me like education and treatment is a way more effective approach than criminalization I just and having worked in criminal justice in different guises in earlier in my career as a consultant I just found that that was so so the case maybe I am slightly on the more liberal end of things but yeah it never felt it didn't feel like something that wouldn't help in some way, although I wasn't really sure what that would be. I'm really asking you about this because this is one of the principles of psychedelic medicine is set and setting and how important clarifying that, having a safe container for that, having a guide through that really helps define and deepen your experience. And so culturally, I think it's important to look at like culturally, what messages are you either with or going against or like what's your relationship to that cultural message and then I mean I think when what's fascinating about this and working with clients is that a lot of people report this calling and when reductionist materialist science came around and the patriarchy and really separated us from our own inner ways of knowing to putting it outside externally and having a representative like a priest understand God and give it to you that you receive passively. I think that really shifted our experience of plant medicine, non-ordinary states of consciousness. They became labeled as unsafe. So I think there's something just really primal in all of us that, of course, we crave these non-ordinary states and also initiation processes, which in our white Western culture, we do not embrace or have structures around. You know, there are a lot of theories about how our early 20s are about those non-ordinary states of consciousness through alcohol, drugs, sex, because our systems crave that. So, yeah, frameworking that calling for you is, I think, really important. Yeah, that's super helpful for me. Yeah, because it just felt like, yeah, I'm going to do this at some point in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was the 30th of January, (laughs) 30th of December. (laughs) Going up to the experience, like how long was it before you decided and then you did it? My guide, she offered me some dates that she was free. And one of them was the 30th of December. And I just thought, oh, 2022 is a really important year. I don't know why. That's just felt to me like, I don't know, a kind of rumbling feeling for me. I, I can't explain that. I know it probably sounds a little odd, but the idea of doing this going into this year felt like that was the right date. And it has definitely kickstarted my year. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So it was like a month in between when you decided. Yeah. On yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that month like? 
And I swear we'll get into the experience, but I think it's really important to talk about the state of your mind before. I was really nervous about it. Like once I'd made the decision, I thought, have I made the right decision? I know you and I talked about this and I made up a whole lot of stories in my mind about what it might be like. I tried to control the experience beforehand, which is always how I roll to try and keep myself feeling safe. (laughs) But I did feel quite nervous building up to it. And on the day, I was really quite anxious where my guide lives is about an hour away and I had planned to drive there and Ash said, I think I'm going to take you there. This is not a new experience for him. He's like, I think you're going to feel pretty drained tomorrow and I'd really like to just pick you up and make sure you're taken care of. So I'll take you down there. So it was quite nice to have that feeling of being held right through the whole process. Yeah. So I, you know, there is this time and this is what I say to clients all the time is that there's the expectation of what will happen. And then usually it is vastly different than what actually happens as we know. And it's really important, I think, to have a guide for that reason, to prepare the groundwork and say, you know, you might have these expectations, like it'll change your life and maybe it won't, maybe it'll just be a little bump and you'll have a little insight Or maybe you think you'll lose control and how scary that will be. And actually what happens is you feel even more in your body than you ever have. So I'm wondering if there was a stark contrast for you from the experience from what you anticipated. Thank for me. I realized that because I was going at either end of that spectrum, like maybe it won't work for me. I had a story that the mushrooms might not like me and somehow they'll decide. I won't. So this is so funny, right? How we make our stories. The mushrooms won't like me and they will decide not to do anything to I will lose complete control and have a psychotic break. Like I was all over the place and I recognized quite early on, oh, I'm just understandably anxious about an experience that I have no conception of and nothing to really compare it to. And look, I've been sober for 10 years. I can't remember the last time I was having a disassociated experience from my body in that way. Right. right. And maybe even to reframe that slightly, a shift to the perspective is that, you know, we're in and out of trance states all the time and in our waking and sleeping state. But so I would maybe shift that slightly to you haven't consciously chosen a non-ordinary state, but that, you know, you've naturally been in and out of them because driving somewhere and not remembering how you got there is a perfect example of a trance state. Amazing. Yeah. It's so normal, right? It's so so normal. And, you know, we crave it, you know, for this reason, I think. You know, you were talking about how you responded to the mushrooms won't like you, which is so beautifully attachment-based and like protector, self-doubt based. (laughs) The mushrooms won't like me or some, in some ways, I'm not good enough for the mushrooms and nothing will happen. Did you feel like the mushrooms liked you when you were in the experience? You did. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How did you know they liked you? They told me. Oh, (laughs) Do you feel shy as you talk about that? Almost because it's such a, I find it incredibly mysterious what actually transpired. I find it utterly fascinating and almost I'm noticing that I'm sort of reaching for words. Like I find it quite hard to describe the feelings 
And the experience itself is so, I love that you're calling it just non-ordinary state because it is completely not like anything else I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I guess I feel, I feel a little shy in that I know that I'm in a place of like, I don't really know. I can't explain it. I'm used to being someone who can kind of make sense of things and explain things. But I think that's why this is so lovely is that it is, it is so mysterious. Yeah. And it really strikes me that your felt experience is totally representative of what's happening neurobiologically, because what's happening is your default mode network so that, that part of your brain that is um, the I, the identity, is quieted in psychedelic experience. And that is the profound process that happens is when the I is quieted, all these other opportunities arise in your neurons and the neuroplastic response. So it, it strikes me as, of course, that you wouldn't be able to verbalize that because your cognition, your division between your experience and yourself is gone. So it makes sense, you know, like, like that neuroscientist who has the TED talk stroke of insight. I can't remember her name. Bolte Taylor. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. 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 And that that's what happened to her is her cognition place went offline and she could only experience the oneness of the universe. You know, that's the gift of the psychedelic experience. So it makes a lot of sense to me that it feels precious. It's hard to articulate and it's different for everyone. So yeah, that maybe coming up with words for it is too small, but sharing the experience with other people who have gone through it is really important <laughs> for that for sure. reason. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like is the most salient thing that you want people to know about your experience? Because you you seem you came to me really excited to share it, which is beautiful. And it seems like you really want to offer something to other people through it. Um, can you name that? If not, that's fine. But if you can. Uh, okay. So I'm already finding it hard to describe it. I think I wanted to share this experience, even though it feels deeply personal and quite specific to me it invited me to to recognize that oneness that you described in a way that isn't theoretical or a concept that we can kind of go oh that's or even you know I've had those experiences before that have been maybe just a brief glimpse of it and that sensation of oh we're are all connected like and then of course I judge that as like oh god I'm such a cliched life coach kind of thing but actually to be in that sensation for several hours it's like a bell I can't unring yeah well and being such a knowledgeable expert in the field of attachment you have a lot of information about what secure attachment might feel like I guess what I'm likening secure attachment to this overwhelming sense of belonging that happens when you are uh, your eye is offline and your we is functioning in the foreground (laughs) and I guess that's the thing like maybe yeah I mean that absolutely happened and it was hilarious I think that's the thing right is that what we're talking about is quite profound and I want people to know like Noel Fielding made a guest appearance in my journey and it was hilarious I want to share that with everyone I want to share what actually happened but 
I think that's the part of it that sort of surprised me was it was so profound and so hilarious. It was almost like there's no space for identity because it all just got mushed up together. Yeah. And what does that say about us? Like that perhaps those of us that have grown up with trauma, relational or otherwise, is that experiencing joy is not so familiar and this kind of essential feeling of joy. So it might feel strange to feel really profound and joyful at the same time. It's, it's new. Completely. Completely. Yeah. Well, and there's also a reason that you know, at least in the U.S., I'm familiar with uh, so many Native American cultures that report the some of the spirit world as tricksters. They're known as tricksters. They're known as you know playmates, and they'll play tricks on you. And yeah, it completely. And I mean, I've always believed. I, I mean, I have a print in our kitchen that is Jesus on a skateboard, like doing a break dance because for me that just embodies my relationship with the divine not necessarily with a christian experience but that spirited sense of the source of all to me has an amazing sense of humor and i experienced that firsthand in a way that was just so joyful and yeah that very very much that sense of belonging and it and safety even though it was so bizarre and unfamiliar yeah and unfamiliar it was safe yeah and I I mean Sass that is your superpower right is that you do have this incredibly resilient sense of humor in almost every circumstance that you draw from and so this is the thing that's so amazing about psychedelic medicine and I've seen it in in my trainings for MDMA and also in the ketamine assisted psychotherapy work we do. That is the essence of this work and why it helps differently than antidepressants or anything like that, that we use standardly is that it allows your inner wisdom to come through and it is visceral and it's immediate and it's not imagined or even a, you don't have to call upon it. Whatever is, like that deepest piece of knowing in that moment will arise. And for you, perhaps in this moment right now, what you needed to remember is that it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. Hmm. How are you feeling right now as we're talking about this? I hope that folks listening sense into the joy of it. And also I, I want to share what actually happened because I think that helps to ground it as well. I know if I was listening, I'd be like, yeah, but what actually happened? I know this is all the build up to it. Yeah. 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 So tell us like what the, what the preparation was that you had to do and what your guide was like. I would love to hear that. So I can set the scene. We were in a, at a family farm in Somerset where my guide lives and behind the farmhouse is a quite a large yurt. There was a storm brewing, like it was quite a rainy, wintry day. And there was a fire uh, in the yurt, a a wood-burning stove. It was set up like a one-bedroom apartment, way bigger than my first one in London, I might add. And the sun was setting. It was about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And I got sort of settled, and I was in very comfortable clothes, and there were sheepskins on the floor. And she came in, and... 
we had a sort of ceremony just to acknowledge what we were doing. We had an altar, so I was invited to bring in some things to connect me to whoever and whatever I wanted. So I have a stone that is actually from Wales that is the same stones as Stonehenge. And I thought because I'm in Somerset, that would be lovely to have as a kind of acknowledgement of the land that we were on. And I had a, a mere, which is a piece of panamu, a green stone, which was a, a left to me by my mum. And so I brought that in because I wanted her to be connected to me in some way. And I hoped that something would happen to help me feel connected to mum. And I had just a few other little trinkets from home. And we thanked the, the medicine. We thanked the land that it came from. We thanked both of our guides and unseen supporters. My guide actually invited them all to stand in a circle around the yurt and keep us both safe, which felt really touching. I could sort of picture that. And I did feel incredibly held. We did some like stretches and yoga just to kind of loosen up and some shaking and just getting my body sort of open and allowing myself to notice that this was going to be a bodily experience as much as a one that was about consciousness and just inviting the medicine in, like allowing that to be safe in my body. And then I took the medicine as a tea. It was, so it was like a powder that was just made into a tea. It didn't really taste of anything. It was quite gritty. Like it, it was not a pleasant substance to, to ingest. I kind of was like, here goes nothing. <laughs> and afterwards I sort of thought, oh, there's no going back now. Like it's in me. And I did feel quite anxious about that. Like I thought, oh, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to have to do it now. And I could feel my body kind of in that sort of a feeling of like being gripped a little bit, a little bit like, oh, okay, I've just got to, just got to get through this almost. Like I suddenly thought, I'm not sure I want to do this. And after about 20 minutes, I was still feeling quite anxious. Nothing had really happened. And I was in that place of, well, maybe the mushrooms don't like me. And I was right all along. <laughs> and, um, and then things started to happen. Do you want to talk about the things that happened or does that feel? Yeah. Yeah. Does yeah. That... Cause I, I think that would be helpful. Um, so the first thing I noticed was my whole body felt quite warm and tingly and we were in a sort of, you know, candlelit room. So it was quite dark, but what I noticed was when I closed my eyes, I had a natural in inclination to want to close my eyes. You know, when you close your eyes and you kind of see atoms, you sort of see the, the, the inside of your eyelids, if you like, they sort of organized themselves into what seemed like wallpaper to me. And I went, oh, something's happening. <laughs> and my guy just invited me to like lie down and get comfortable. Um, I wore uh, an eye mask that was padded and very, very soft. And I had headphones on and she played a playlist that was just designed to help me kind of relax and get into the experience. She was with me the whole time. She just sat behind me and she was weaving and weaving me a gift while I was in the experience. And I could at any moment like let her know that I needed her. So I felt incredibly safe. 
And so this is all starting to happen as the storm is getting quite powerful. And I just thought, whoa, okay, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And the first thing that I kind of saw, and when I say saw, it's a bit like a dream and a bit like a movie, but it's somewhere in between those things. Um, I had a vision of an old school friend and she used to have garage parties like in our last year of high school. And a garage party in New Zealand in the 80s was basically being outside with a keg, music too loud, you're a bit cold, and you basically just try to get off with someone before you get too drunk. <laughs> it's not Sounds pretty. like Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the time in most cultures, and that teen time is when people go through an initiation process consciously for by the elders. So that's really interesting to me that you, the mushrooms took you there. I also think that it was a body memory because I felt that same awkwardness of not quite wanting to be there, but felt feeling a bit trapped, feeling a bit like this is, I've just got to do this now. I started to, I was like, oh, I can't, why am I here? Like it just felt like the least profound memory I could possibly have. And I remember feeling a little bit angry, actually, like, oh, come on. Like, is this the best we can do? Don't you know I've meditated for years? Like, it was almost like a kind of entitlement. Like, I want a profound enlightenment experience. Where's the goddess? Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. (laughs) And actually, my husband, Ash, he showed up beside me, the essence of him showed up beside me as someone would in a dream and he was laughing at me and he said it's your journey if you don't like it you don't have to be here like just where do you want to go he was just in this very playful kind of energy that he sometimes gets when he's not being so much of a Virgo and I was like oh right and he said it's just like a dream it's a lucid dream you get to decide and then this other voice came up on the other side of me, and it it was what I now believe is the mushrooms or the essence of the mushrooms speaking to me. They weren't particularly loving or compassionate. It was very matter of fact. They just said, there are no consequences. It's just like life. And I was like, what? I need to write this shit down. Like this would make a really good Instagram post. Like, I, I'm sorry, but that's actually where my brain went, you know? Like, I should be writing this down. And Ash was like, so where do you want to go? What should we do? And I just went, let's go to space. So we got into our spaceships and we spent quite a long time zipping around. We had a spaceship each. It was like kind of like a video game, kind of like Star Wars. And we visited different planets and we met different kind of alien species and we heard different music. Like it was very playful and we were laughing so much and it felt really fun. At some point, I remember thinking, like, I'm wasting time. Like, I need to be asking them the questions. And they just said immediately, this is the whole point stop taking yourself so seriously and it was just like okay (laughs) fine (laughs) you know I don't know like just seeing right through what I was thinking and feeling and getting to the heart of things yeah like giving you permission to play 
that you don't have to be heavy or serious or figure things out. Was that the message? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you think this is about? You know, I don't know. I just found that incredibly amusing and I felt really humbled as well. Like, oh, okay. So we carry on. We're playing and Ash and I, he's with me the whole time, which was lovely. And at some point I'm like, oh, I wonder how long this has been going on. And this is when Noel Fielding made an appearance hilariously. Noel Fielding is, if anyone who watches British Bake Off, he's also a British actor and comedian and artist and just all round ace human. And he just popped up as he does on British Bake Off to do a time check and just said to me, Sass, you've been tripping balls for 90 minutes. And I literally like wet my pants laughing. Like it was just so unexpected and surreal, but perfect as well. And I just thought, okay, all right, I've got time. And I started to think about what did I want? What had my intentions been? Like, what did I want to ask the mushrooms? And I said, oh, can you, can you show me God? I want to, I want to meet God. I'm ready to meet God, which I think now, <laughs> whatever. Why not really, Sass? Why well, not? Well, if you're going to you know? ask, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Why like not? everyone I know that's done psychedelics has said they've had this amazing God-like experience. So why not? So I asked to see God and they kind of don't say anything, but they show me this big, like a meadow of wildflowers on a beautiful sunny day. And I'm like, oh, is nature God? And it was like, yes. And then, oh, and I could see my own feet and I thought, oh, do you mean it's me? And they were like, yes. And then this massive black and white sheepdog comes flying across this beautiful sky and winks at me. And I'm like, a dog's God? (laughs) Is that dog God? Is that God? And the mushrooms went, yes. And it was like, I now can kind of see, we can't show you this because it's all and everything. And don't be silly. It was just so funny to me. It sounds so loving, actually, when you say it that way. It was loving for them and for you, your inner wisdom, the mushrooms, to show you that it's just too big to be contained. You you can't name it and you're not separate from it. It's you and it's the dog flying through the sky. It's all and everything. And I loved that the dog winked at me. It just felt like we're all in on the joke here. And we're tenderly telling you that no, that we can't show you something that is all the things. I also had the sense of I wanted to connect with mum in some way. I wanted to have some, some connection with her as part of this experience. That was one of the intentions that I'd taken in. And I suddenly had this feeling of, oh, lots of people have said that they experienced seeing their own birth and how powerful and healing that felt for them. And I was like, I do not want to see that. That just sounds like blood and yelling. I don't want to see that. I want to connect with mum, but don't show me that. And then I was like, am I allowed to put rules on this? Like I was in my head about it. And then I was in this kind of dark place quite immediately. And 
I felt really warm and cozy and I was like I was kind of cuddled up to myself and I could see like dappled light on one side and then I heard my mum singing. Mm. I realised that it was me in her womb and it was so simple and beautiful and I could see her hand just stroke her belly. I could see that, the shadow of that and the light. And I just felt her feelings like she was so young and so excited and completely in love with me. I just felt it and it felt like a memory. It was really, really moving. Still is. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. How long were you there? while I could hear her footsteps and I could hear her humming and singing I could see the sun in her stroking her belly it just felt like oh I just want to stay here this is beautiful and what I heard from the mushrooms was you were so wanted and you're so loved and I don't know if anyone who can hear that too much (laughs) but it was incredible to hear that not just to hear it but to feel it and to have that beautiful, just sensory experience of that. It felt like a memory. I, I can't explain, but that's such an anchor for you now. I'm imagining if you hold that image in your life now, do, does it come up for you? Yeah. 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 I think about it a lot. I mean, I imagine that it will be the kind of thing that changes and maybe you know, the, the image of it is with me, but maybe I won't remember it as often, but it feels profound to have that. It feels like a real gift. You know, I'm thinking about the death of your mom and how this memory in some ways can really replace that experience of her as the most vivid. You've been organizing your life, understandably, around that huge painful event since it happened. And now you can organize around a different set of memories around her. You're absolutely right. And just having that as such a precious experience feels like I get to experience her at her most alive. Yeah. Yeah. And also that has always been in you, right? So that has always been operating in you, but it was allowed to be brought to your conscious awareness through this experience which seems powerful to me that it's, it's always been there. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Hey, if you're listening to Courage and Spice and you like what you hear, would you mind doing me a favor and opening up the podcast in the iTunes podcast app? Just click on the icon for Courage and Spice and scroll down to ratings and reviews to share your support. This will help other people find the podcast and you'll absolutely make my day. I still am blown away that over a hundred people have left five-star reviews for this little podcast that's all about self-doubt. Who knew this was such an interesting topic? Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you. What happened next? Well, I just sobbed, honestly. For a really long time, it felt like I was there for quite a while. I just 
just wanted to feel it. I think a lot of grief came up, but not just grief. Like it, it wasn't like the loss of her. It was like almost like a regaining of her and how precious that is. And just, yeah, it felt incredibly moving. I, I was just so grateful. Like, thank you for that. That was worth the dog joke. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, Sass, what's popping into my mind right now is your mom's heart condition, right? And then your heart condition that you discovered and you had surgery for three years ago around this time. So you were in the hospital three years prior at the same time you were doing these mushrooms. There's just something really interesting to me about how you could recognize you have this inheritance from your mom that is love and that you also have this inheritance from your mom that was her death and that you have survived both and that you have, you have healed your heart. Actually, you had the opportunity for that to be recognized and healed. There's something very beautifully circular about going back to the womb on the anniversary of your own possible death three years prior. There's a, a very life and death feeling to your journey. Both the experience of that when my heart failed and I needed that surgery and this experience with psilocybin felt, I don't know, they both happened at night. There was a lot of darkness. There was a lot of anticipatory fear and also the bliss of it. When my heart failed, I literally was the most frightened I'd ever been and I was okay and it did something. I don't know how to explain, but that did something to me. It's like, oh, okay, all bets are off now. I want to understand what you're saying. It feels important in the context of your psilocybin journey, actually, is all bets are off, meaning I can fully live my life now that I know what how close death is or... I can feel death so close that I know I don't have to be afraid of it. Maybe those are the same thing. Both. Really. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. I think beautifully described. Yeah. Both. And, and I think just as well, that experience of, of almost dying was incredibly peaceful. Like it, I was not in any pain and I, and I recognize it's so easy. It's, it's just so easy to go like, and it's okay. That felt very close during this experience that's so that's really powerful to me sass i mean there's so much research around near-death experience which it doesn't sound like you had that sort of classic tunnel light situation but that there's such a similarity of, of what happens when people are in the psychedelic experience whether it's ibogaine or ayahuasca or LSD, MDMA, well, MDMA, maybe not so much, but psilocybin that there is a sense of rightness to the order of things I absolutely felt that and I felt that you do end up sounding a bit like an inspirational quote machine but everything is perfectly unfolding in the right time no feeling is final our experience of being a human is so short and we spend it worrying about things that won't ever happen and we're all connected and it's such a universal, beautiful experience. And we're all creators. We all have source inside of us. All of that. Just it was like not just a 
conceptual knowing. It was a felt experience of this is the only thing that's true. And it just, it, it has, it, it's just stayed with me. Like I just recognize how, how much of my life is spent trying to figure things out and how seriously I can take myself. And that's lovely and important and it's so not, and it's ridiculous. You know, so all of it is true at the same time and just how contradictory and paradoxical that is. But there is a poetry to it as well. Like nothing's gone wrong. There is no right way to be, you know. You know, I just have to point out that there is this moment where, let's say three years ago, when you had the heart failure experience and you realize, okay, all bets are off. The piece you found out that was a direct result of all of the hard emotional labor and you had been undergoing and undertaking. This is my belief, at least, is that if you had had a different experience and let's say not been sober for seven years at that point, not looked at yourself, not worked through a lot of the pains and traumas that you'd experienced, that moment might have been really different where you might have hardened or closed up around that and lived in fear. And so it just, it really strikes me is that that relationship you had to death is really a beautiful product of all your hard work and allowed you to have the depth of the experience that you had with psilocybin three years later. Yeah, perhaps that's true. Yeah. Is it hard to see that as a result specifically of the work you've done? I guess I'm conscious of the work. (laughs) I feel like there's a part of me that's like, yeah, that was pretty shit at times. And also, I guess, recognizing that it is kind of, it's, it's the ordinary work of, that we, that we are all in as well. And, and I guess not wanting to separate myself from anyone listening, thinking, oh, well, it's, you know, like, I, I guess there's, there's a, I'm conscious of that, that I don't think that we need to feel like there's a reward at the end of it. Like, just do it, do it for your own freedom. You know, I I get what you're saying, but this is a compliment to you. (laughs) I'm going to try and take it. (laughs) That you are an inspiration to a lot of people because of this ability that you have. I think that's quite natural to you. You're a seeker, like you've said many times, you know, and so I think this is a beautiful gift that you've given other people. Sorry to really go off here on a compliment, but this is what enlightened masters do. When we are faced with a really serious dilemma, like a huge change in our life, a death in our life, our own possible death, we can open a little bit to it rather than close down. And that is, that is a thing that is, I think, powerful to recognize about you, that you have that ability to do that and you inspire it in other people. I can see that. I mean, it never occurred to me that I could shut down to it. It just felt like, oh, okay, what are you going to do now? You really wanted to be here still. Like that was my prayer. And that and that that whole night was like, don't you dare take me yet. I am not done here. Like I was very angry about the whole situation. Like, how dare you? You know, I've got five more years because I always thought I was gonna live until my mum's death age of 53. And that was my biggest prayer during that whole experience was. I've got five more years, dude, you cannot take me yet. Like it was very kind of forceful. But also the first thing that my surgeon said to me was, you are going to live to be a very grumpy old woman and you get a totally different story to your mum. 
So you don't need to worry about that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much that's true about doing the work and then having this opening and then being open to the psilocybin experience. And also to point out for people that have more tendency to control, don't have as much insight, you know, other mortal humans, the rest of us, <laughs> then, <laughs> most of us, <laughs> that is that psilocybin and these neuroplastic experiences of psychedelia and psychedelic substances, sacred plant medicine, all of that allows us to have the experience of openness, even if we don't have it in our conscious life. I think that's the really exciting thing for most people is that it is a slog. It's a lot of work to do, go to therapy and look at ourselves and look at our patterns. And it's also possible to just experience ourselves in a completely different way and then change. And I think it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around that as, as uh, white Western culture people. Oh, we think we have to do a lot of work to earn it. Yeah. And and I think that was my takeaway from this whole experience was I can completely understand that with a course of guided therapy alongside plant medicine, that this would be such a powerful you know, irrevocable shift for people, especially those. And I know you're working with folks who are having amazing results. And that is so hopeful to me. And it makes me worried as well about, you know, I mean, I imagine that antidepressant drug companies are shitting their pants actually about all of this. But how beautiful that nature has given us exactly what we need to heal ourselves from ourselves. Yeah, right. Through ourselves through the planet. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's a, a really interesting time to be in this field because um, all the new therapists that I talk to and they want to do this training to become psychedelic assisted psychotherapists is because this is the first thing in psychology that has had a real promise of not fixing symptoms, but solving issues, salt, like being an actual resolution to pain. And, you know, maybe for thousands of years when we were actually using and revering shamans (laughs) and, and the people that do currently practice that indigenous, you know, current indigenous practices around that. Yeah. I just think it's a magical time in that way. And I'm so conscious of how I can sound so enthusiastic about it and also have a very, I do have a very discerning approach because it doesn't work the same way for everyone, but the research shows that it works so often and so well, it's hard to not be excited because I've been doing therapy with people for 17 years and have never had this kind of tool. Um, And so your experience is so beautifully representative of so many people that I have worked with or hear from is that um, you're changed afterwards and you have you, the feeling doesn't go away. Like you were saying about feeling that closeness with your mom. I did walk away from this feeling that I am connected now to plants, like, like in a really quite logical way. Like I've noticed even I have a much greater desire to eat more plants 
and way less sugar. Like I'm just, that's quite an easy natural thing, which has never been easy or natural for me before. And I feel a deep reverence for nature in a way that I've always, I've always like, oh, you know, I can easily fall in love with a tree, you know, but mornings with Bodhi in the park have become really sacred to me. I'm almost like hungry for more nature, more natural experiences. I don't really want to watch the news. I don't really need to hear what's going on in the world. I just recognize how important it is to spend my days in ways that actually fill me up because that allows me to have more impact in the world and it allows me to have more fun. And I think joy for me has always been quite a tripsy kind of emotion. I've never really felt very comfortable around joy. And I'm realizing that now I can just choose that. That can be my talisman. What, what would be more joyful right now? What's a more joyful way to experience this? Can I notice what brings me joy right now in this moment? Like not waiting and not doing any work to get there, not rewarding myself at the end of it, but right now in this moment. I'm conscious of sounding a little bit like a Hallmark card. And, and you know, my friend Pippa calls Eckhart Tolle, you know, that, that, that German twat, which I know is terrible, but it makes us both laugh. And, you know, we both agreed, like, are you serious? You sat on a park bench in London and you for two years and you got enlightened? Like, actually, you would probably have just got sectioned, you know? Like, neither of us really bought into that. And, I mean, I have to say, I get it now in a way that I don't think I ever have before, that there really is just right now. And if you let go of all the identities that make us up and keep asking yourself, you know, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? You'll get through the, you get through the job title and the relationship titles and you get further and further and further until you just left with this essence that is beautiful. You just said very beautifully what I was about to say in this uh, smaller way, which is that you have experienced a deeper way of knowing and that it's not about news or um, being informed or having a skeptical view of things, but having a felt sense of what it's like to be alive, to just simply be alive. Yeah. And I think how often do we get that? Like it's, it is, it how, and how tragic is it that that is a non-ordinary state of being <laughs> right. to feel alive? Right. Ooh, that's a whole other like podcast series about industrialized culture. And yeah, I think what's, it's interesting you bring up Eckhart Tolle because um, recently I was just forced to watch The Secret. <laughs> we had family visiting and she really wanted to see it. And I found it very challenging because it feels so smug, which is, I think what you mean by a Hallmark card to say, Oh, just feel different. Just choose something different can sound really patronizing. If your felt experience is of a lot of pain, 
I know when I've gone through depression, trauma in my life, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, fuck off. I'm yeah, I'd feeling... want to just punch them in the face. Yeah, yeah exactly. Completely. And so I think there's something about um, the energy behind what you're saying, which is very informed of all of the ne- quote negative experiences, the thick, juicy experiences, and also allowing uplifting, exuberant experiences that both can coexist in the same place. And that is what is so evident when you're in an experience, a psychedelic experience. You're, you know, it could be scary to see a dog flying through the sky and winking at you, but it's also revelatory and playful and that both are really true. So I don't think you have to worry about sounding like a Hallmark card because in the energy of your voice, your experience that you have gone through this transformation and probably will continue to, but it's informed by real pain, which is also part of the human experience. It's real to acknowledge that. I think we have to. It's both and all the time. Like I've really, I think in the past and perhaps because coaching, discovering coaching when I was, you know, a burnt out ex-corporate just felt like enlightenment. Like, oh my God, I'm not my thoughts, what? And um, yeah, like that just felt incredible to me. And I think after sort of 10 years in this work, I'm like, yeah, this coaching is both like the most powerful beautiful connection with between two individuals who are both working in service of the future self of one person like that to me just feels profound and the industry is a shit show and it's deeply problematic and lots of the stuff that we are taught is you know not really rooted in anything that is you know helpful that experience has really helped me to just be like okay we don't have to make one thing deeply wrong for it to be okay, you know, for it to be beautiful at, at times, you know, and it's really helped me to see as well, like just the, you know, what one person's deep wounding is another person's, you know, real, real joy and pride. You know, we just look at, you know, the way capitalism works. Say more about that. One person's wounding is one person's deep joy and pride. As an example, I just think about everyone who is currently working at Amazon, right? Like it's a wounding environment. And Jeff Bezos looks like it's his joy and pride. For him, it's a completely different experience. And and I, I don't know if this is relevant to what we're talking about, but I guess I- Oh, I bet it is. I, I don't know. I just, I feel like- if oneness is true, there's a part of me that's Jeff Bezos. I'm connected to him on some way. What is it about him that I'm connected to? Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're into the realm of Buddhist philosophy all of yeah. a sudden. Ooh, yeah, sharp detour, well, but it's, quick. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's all the same thing. But that the premise is is that suffering is real, and that everyone suffers. And so not one person's suffering is more or different than another. It's all suffering and we all do it. And that's what connects us. And through that suffering, we find the richness of our experience. So we are Jeff Bezos and we can breathe compassion into his self-absorbed weird fantasies (laughs) and compassion to that and say, yeah, I do the same thing actually on a smaller scale. And that connects us versus divides us. And I think maybe that's what you're pointing to. 
Yeah, the the idea that suffering is universal, I think it, it always strikes me that the times I have been in healing circles with people who are, and we are sharing suffering, have felt like deeply safe and connective to me. And it's it just feels like there is there is joy in that. Yeah. And which is kind of what you were saying you felt with your the grief when you were crying about your feeling your mom in the experience. It was a grief, but it was also just it's like there's not really a good English word for that. Grief bliss. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, I think about in New Zealand when um, in um, the Māori culture, we have a tangi, which is a, a funeral, but it lasts for five days. And you can't usually grieve the entire time. Like there's a lot of laughing and food and sharing of memories and celebration that goes alongside the loss. It's all of life is there. I think I've always probably been more comfortable with those darker sides of things. That's always felt a little bit more like my jam than the and the blissful joy side of things, you know. But because I found that actually in those experiences, there is also the dark celebration of life, you know, the, the dark humour and the, um, yeah, the celebration that goes alongside the loss. So I just want to get back to your experience because I'm really curious about how it wrapped up, if it wrapped up at the point where we paused, and then how you felt the couple days afterwards, the week afterwards. Um, So we had a pause after the experience with mum, and I was actually feeling really hungry. Like you're really conscious through this whole thing. And my guide had prepared like a little vegetable stew. So we sat on the floor and ate that together. And I was trying to sort of find some words to explain what was going on and she was like it's fine you just you sit there and you enjoy your meal and she offered me some like a essential oil hand sanitizer afterwards and she said because I was like I think I'm I think it's over I think I'm done and she's like well just smell just smell this you know put your hands together and take a nice deep breath in and I just went, oh, my God, it smells like yellow birds. <laughs> and all these yellow birds just <laughs> flew out of my hands. And I was like, wow. oh, I'm still going. <laughs> so, yeah, there was more to come. But I could feel like the degrading of the experience, like something was kind of breaking down almost. And I could see that just in the images that were being shown to me. And and I said, is everything okay? And they just said it's entropy. Everything is temporary. And it was just that, oh, okay, okay, everything, everything goes, you know. And, yeah, it was just, it was kind of sad in a way, but also, you know, beautiful because you can't stay in that state forever, right? And while I was kind of in that place, my guide, uh, she washed my hands and my feet and sung to me. And it was so tender. It was, it was beautiful. You know, she had invited me just to kind of get into bed when I was ready and kind of left me to to sleep, which was lovely. And I, I spent a little while just writing down everything that was still with me from the experience. And I didn't really sleep very much. The next day I felt incredibly flat, really kind of fatigued and tired and exhausted and wrought. So glad that Ash picked me up. I slept for a lot of the next day and then 
about four o'clock, Ash came back in the our bedroom and he was like, right, I've brought you tea. I need to know everything that happened. And it was lovely to just share the whole thing with him. And yeah, it was it was really sweet. There was some stuff that came up about our relationship that felt very reassuring and profound and really tender. And he was, you know, really moved by that as well. So yeah. So both of us have kind of been through this experience in some ways. And it's now um, a couple of months later and I feel really awake and really changed. I would absolutely do it again, but I'm in no rush to do that. I'm fascinated by just the concept of mycelium and what it actually does. I'm sort of left feeling that the mushrooms themselves, they're not really plants and they're not really creatures, but I'm pretty convinced that they are sentient in some way. I'm left feeling that there is something quite magical and godlike about the mushrooms. And I sort of, I said, are you speaking to me? And they just said, well, who do you think is speaking to you? And I was like, is it me? Am I making this up? Is it you? Like I was really, and they were, they were just silent. It was like, it doesn't matter in some ways, you know. But also, but also I think I did get the sense that their whole existence is to just be. It's like a this beautiful example of what it is to be part of nature and to be alive in nature. And it feels to me like this medicine is like a side gig. <laughs> right. <laughs> a side hustle. Yeah. I'll yeah. show them this experience exactly. while they're there. Yeah. Yeah. Sass, I, I keep having this image come forward in my mind and we can digress into it. It's about your personal story a little bit. So I noticed in all of the things that you shared in this experience, as you revealed it today, that there was a lot of flying imagery. So the dog flew, you flew in space, the birds flew out of your hands. Like what, what do you think that is? I don't know. I, I, that's such a great question. I dream about flying sometimes. I'm terrified of heights. So the whole idea of it is petrifying to me, but I do feel, yeah. And my, I'm a Libra and I'm an air sign. I'm very connected to the, like looking up as my way to ground myself. I feel like very inspiration. Yeah. Inspiration is yeah. the way to relax. Yeah. And mm. I feel very connected to the skies, the stars, the moon, celestial bodies. I completely believe in aliens. If anyone, everyone's like not switched off by now, it's too late. Completely. I just, I just think it's a matter of time before full disclosure just starts to happen. I, I just, so there is something for me about that connection to flight, the, the utter freedom of it. And how it is that sort of space between the heavens and the earth feels really resonant to me. I guess what strikes me about it is as you were talking about it, what I was thinking about fear of heights is only if you have a relationship to the the anchor, right? And that flying is a really different experience than fear of height. That flying is a felt experience of movement and freedom and so these these words that came up for you in the story that you told were safety, protection, held, and yet the imagery was flying, movement, freedom. And I think that there is some message perhaps that your inner wisdom, the mushrooms are saying about the combination of those two things coexisting. 
Yeah. I have stars tattooed on my on my arm because I feel like they ground me in a very paradoxical way. Well, and that I think is maybe the message, right? Is the paradox. The paradox of losing your mom. The paradox of always having had your mom and being in her. The paradox of having this near-death experience and fully embracing life. Like there's this power in that. It's the dance of life, right? Yeah. The dark celebration. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah. And so that reminds me of how you reached out to me after your experience. And you said that you're having a hard time basically being back in normal life. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit, because I think that is a real experience that people have after this kind of exuberant, insightful journey. Well, it's that thing, isn't it? I, I don't know who said this, but it's like, you know, after the bliss comes the laundry. That was me. Oh, was that you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You told me that. Yeah. It's a book after the ecstasy, the laundry about That's Zen exactly it. Yeah, yeah. who reach enlightenment and then have to go do the laundry. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. When you're cleaning up the cat poo, you're like, yeah. hey, man, this is not, this is not <laughs> what I meant by embracing life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, um, yeah, there's something about mm-hmm. the density of real life. I felt like I sort of came crashing back to earth a little bit. And it was interesting because I, you know, I was able to share that with Ash and just say, oh, I just this is kind of heavy, actually, to be back in the world. And, of course, at that time, there's just, you know, the news and all of that. and he just said, having been through this experience himself, he was like, you know, you just need to be super kind to yourself while you kind of recharge and let's not watch this. <laughs> you know, so endlessly practical, my husband, you know, he was very kind about, you know, you don't have to come right back to life. You can make some choices about what you do and don't want to engage with. But yeah, I imagine for anyone who has kids or additional responsibilities that pretty grounding. It's an important part of planning for the experience, I think, is maybe even uh, staying away from those responsibilities for a day or so, if you can, if you have the ability to do that. Yeah, it it reminds me of near-death experiences and how they talk about they go and see their loved ones and then come back into their bodies and it can be so heavy for a while and they have to adjust. Yeah, I definitely felt that even when I had my heart surgery, it was like, the utter bliss of knowing that I was going to be okay and the excitement of that, you know, and everyone's like, it's a miracle. We've got this device. We can save you. Isn't this amazing? And everyone's, you know, literally kind of high-fiving each other about how great medicine is and the NHS and you just can't even say the words without bawling because what an utter gift that all of that was completely free. And, yeah, and then you come back to earth and it's like, okay, so... Now we just got to, you know, get the warrant of fitness done on the car. And I find real life pretty, pretty dense, you know, pretty tricky. Like I'm realizing as I get older that I've white knuckled my way through a lot of the world so far. And my natural state is pretty sensitive. I'm pretty porous when it comes to emotions and other people's stuff and you know, just kind of feeling into the energy of wherever I am. And sometimes that feels utterly overwhelming to me. And I think I've always sort of judged myself a bit around that. And as I'm just saying, well, actually, how can I take care of myself in this? It's a completely different response. 
Yeah, that seems very similar to craving to be in nature as you're craving to be in your own nature as well. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Thank process. you for thank you for asking such amazing questions. <laughs> I feel like, you know, there's just so there's so much about this work that I just want to talk about for hours. <laughs> well, so, and, and I think, you know, for folks who have who listen in and have questions or whatever, just do get in touch because I think Karen will have to come back and talk a bit more about how you're using this work and your work as a psychedelic assisted psychotherapist. What does that look like and how can people engage with it? It's very different than quote regular talk therapy, having the ability to sit with someone for five to eight hours and be present is holding that space. I kept thinking about your guide as you were talking and what she was going through. What was the piece that she ended up weaving? Did it feel like it represented your experience well? Yeah, I'll show it to you. Okay. Oh, so in the US, what, and growing up in church camp and such, we would refer to that as a God's eye. Yeah. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's gorgeous. So it's a, it's a triangle, two triangles stacked. So it's a diamond that, Yeah. yeah, goes in with gradated colors. It's very vivid in the middle, that red. Well, and this is like red, blue, purple, green. These are my colors. Like my my branding is the jewel colors, you know. So she would not have known that. But, um, but yeah, she wove this beautiful piece for me. And, um, yeah, I was really conscious of her experience too. And I said it's it's really interesting how I am almost fighting to let you care for me to tend to me and she just said I want you to know that I'm working in partnership with the medicine like I'm a steward of it and I'm creating the space to allow it to work with you and it's like you don't need to take care of me and I think that's the one thing that I'm really conscious of as well is how incredibly self-reliant those of us who've grown up with a lot of attachmenty stuff can end up being very self-reliant and we find it really hard to ask for help and um that is you know that's definitely my work I think is to just continue to allow that that sense of knowing that I am valued and I'm loved and I'm wanted and it's okay to ask for help that part of you know our work in the world is about allowing ourselves to be filled up and taken care of yeah, and that you you even referenced it early on in our conversation that your work as a coach is partnering with your client's future self. And it's it strikes me as so similar to partnering, like as a psychotherapist, we are taught to be stewards of the medicine's wisdom. That it's not us who has the answers, it's the medicine that is allowing for insight, every person's individual insight, their deeper way of knowing. Oh, and I absolutely feel that with my clients is. You know, I'm just partnering with the wisest part of you, the healthiest part of you that knows what your future wants. So it's so many layers to it. It's beautiful. From this conversation that we're just having, what are you, what are you hoping that people will take away from hearing this experience and hearing my questions to you? I hope that anyone who is just curious feels about psilocybin or working with any kind of psychedelic medicine that this has kind of normalized it for you, like go and explore it. And I also hope that 
this maybe for some people who this isn't right for, but they're just curious that what the mushrooms told me, I think is what they would tell anyone. You are loved and wanted and needed. Your nature, have fun. Mm -hmm. Everything is temporary. It'll be all right. And it all comes back to love. Thank you, Sass. Thank you. If you're ready to explore more about your self-doubt, I want to invite you to take the self-doubt archetypes quiz. It's totally free and you'll uncover your particular flavor of self-doubt. It turns out self-doubt is not this amorphous cloud of woe. There are 12 different types of self-doubt and finding out yours is the first step to getting a handle on it. Just head over to www.sasspetherick.com backslash archetype for all the details.